church. Good morning, church, and welcome, neighbors. Um, glad that you're with us. If you're in the room or if you're watching with us online, um, thank you for spending some time with us this morning. Um, can we turn the, that one off? <laughs> Too many. You guys don't need to hear me that well. Um, glad to be with you this morning and uh, glad to be taking another step with you um, in, our, in our chapter or in our series of um, journeying together. The, the text that we're going to look at is, is a difficult one to introduce, and I'll, so I'm just going to jump in. Um, if you have not been following along with us, then uh, hopefully this kind of introduction will actually be a good place to start. Um, and if you have been following with us, hopefully this will give us some clarity on some of the things that we've already talked about. The section of, of, of the book of Philippians that we're going to be looking at together is actually the keystone of the whole book. If you were to or, like map everything out and try to figure out the outline of the letter, remember this is a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul to the, this church in Philippi, these people that he had um, planted and started the church, he had shared Jesus with. He built this letter, and everything in this letter ties to this section of Scripture that we're going to be looking at today. Um, and it actually, like an, an exciting component for me as somebody who spend a large portion of my life leading worship and now leading worship again, it actually is built around a song. The whole letter is built around a song that was probably familiar to the church in Philippi, probably something that they sang regularly as they got together in one another's homes. Um, and as he reminds them of this song and what this song teaches, he also reminds them of maybe a, a truth that they would like to gloss over as they're going through it. So um, I know it's not like a grasping introduction of like this really connects with where I'm at in my world today, but is because of the nature of this portion of scripture that I feel like we really just need to jump in and I need to show you what it is. So we're going to read it together. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 2 and I'm going to begin reading in verse 5. It's on page 1222 in the blue Bibles that are here. Um, and I just want to read this, this passage before I ask you to pray together with me. Philippians chapter 2, if you want to navigate there, uh, page 1222, and I'm going to begin in verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's our text this morning. That's some of what we're going to be working through. Um, we will get out of the clouds of theology and into some practical um, application as we get towards the end. But, but this, there's some heavy stuff to chew on. And as we do that, I just invite you to pray together with me. Um, and pray together with me uh, the, the disciples' prayer, the model of prayer that Jesus left for us. Would you pray? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So we'll take a step back from this as we walk back up into it. And recall that Philippi, the, the, the city of Philippi, wasn't really a city There hadn't been a city for very long. It had been kind of a a farming community, but then there had been, uh, by happenstance, accidentally, as far as the people who lived there were concerned, there was a big battle that was fought there. And the Roman army turned that little town of Philippi into a Roman colony and extended to them the rights and privileges of Roman citizenship. And now that little town has grown into kind of a thriving city. And they're kind of a new city. They've got um, people who've retired from the army are now moving in there, and they've got new money, and there's new buildings, and there's new development, and they have uh, a high... um, They're proud about what has happened to them, that they now are Roman citizens. It's something that they, they value very highly. And so as Paul comes into that town and as he begins to preach Christ, there are some that turn and trust Jesus and begin to follow him. And there are those who hear that message and go, that, that's, not, that's not right. And so there's a hostile presence towards the faith of Jesus in the city already. They put Paul in prison and they continually went, had conflict with the church that was there. So now... Paul turns his attention to the one that he's asked them to follow. He says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. So he says in the beginning, I want you to think about Jesus. Jesus as God, eternally existing as God, having all the rights and privileges of the divine. Um, Other passages in in Scripture will tell us that by the power of his word, Jesus was integral in creating everything that exists. He says, let there be light, and now light is, and all of the ways that light works, whether it's an energy, whether it's a wave, whether it is matter, like there's photons and things that, that our scientific observations still haven't really been able to describe about the way that light works. But Jesus says the word, and it and all of its intricacies are. He's God. And being in the form of God, he did not consider equality with God. He did not consider being God a thing that he needed to grasp a hold of. And this is something that I think um, this is something I think is, is difficult to wrap our heads around. He he knew that he was God. He was God, and there was nothing that anybody could say or do that was going to change that fact. And yet he didn't feel like that was something. Uh, that he had to hold on to and, and make sure that everybody like bowed to him and made sure that they all got in line and you know like you guys need to get it. He said, no, like I am equal with God and yet in order to redeem these people, in order to buy back the people that have rebelled against me, I'm not going to grab on to this thing that I'm entitled to. I have every right to stay up here on the cloud and zap all of you with lightning. And yet, I'm going to set that aside and I'm going to become one of you. He did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he humbled himself, emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, 
being born in the likeness of men, and not just men, poor men, to a a blue-collar worker, construction guy. Construction guy who's on the road, like with his wife that he's betrothed, like his fiance that he's betrothed to. Like, this is not exactly like royal family status. But God of all creation decided that was what he was going to do. He was going to be born into this family, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. So, this letter, remember I told you, is a letter that was written by Paul to this church in Philippi, and it's not written to us, and we're kind of reading somebody else's mail as we go through this letter, but maybe something else, uh, another layer of that is that Paul didn't speak English, and neither did the Philippians, so Paul wrote in a language that they understood, a language Greek, that was Greek, and so we have an English translation here of what, was, what Paul originally wrote to the Philippians. And our English translations are really, really um, valuable. But I don't know if uh, maybe you've, uh, you're semi-bilingual or you can just pick up on this. Sometimes music doesn't translate well. Have you ever listened to a song in another language or listened to a song that you know in English being sung in a different language, like the rhythm doesn't quite fit right between the languages. Do you know what I'm talking about? Or is this just a music thing? It makes sense to me. But you guys, you got, you got it? All right, we're good. Okay. So in the translation, we don't necessarily feel the, the same rhythm. But if we were looking at this in the same language that it was written in, if we were looking at it in Greek, then we would recognize that this is actually, there's a meter to the way that he's talking about this. And it seems like Paul is quoting a psalm to them. That Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being formed in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him a name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. If I were to kind of break that up into stanzas and, and divide it up and we could put it on the screen, like we could probably sing something very, very similar. And I think Paul is, is quoting back, like as if, I, as if I were to just say, amazing grace. Like you guys know how to fill in the rest of that because that song is embedded in your heart. He says, this song that you've been singing, like, this is true. This matters. But as he does so, there's one line in the poem that doesn't fit. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. This is the line that doesn't fit. Even death on a cross. He's got this poem, this song that they'd sung every every week or weekly or regularly, and he sticks a line in the middle of the song to clarify something, that Jesus became obedient to death, but not some generic death. Not just like he died uh, as a sacrifice. Not some clean, pristine death in in a holy place. But he submitted himself to death on a cross. And there are a number of reasons why I think the Philippians would want to gloss over that fact. Remember, they had just become, or it was new in their culture to be Roman citizens. But crucifixion was a form of execution that was reserved for non-citizens. 
So Jesus himself was not a citizen of Rome. These people that had these rights and privileges, these, these things that they enjoyed, these liberties, these pursuits of happiness that were, embedded, that were invested to them by the, 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 by the nature of the country that they lived in and the, the ruler that they served, Jesus didn't have that. He was outside of that. He was submitted to the dishonorable death that was reserved for non-citizens. And he was executed in the garbage dump. He didn't just submit himself to death as like a clean sacrifice. He came as a humble man, a blue collar of the, uh, in the family of a blue collar worker, a construction worker. And he was, had bad reputation among the religious people who were all cleaned up so much so that they made sure that he died a dishonorable death in a dishonorable place. And that's something that we, like, even as, as normal humans, like, we'd be like, well, even normal people don't deserve that kind of execution. And so we jump back and we, we, we come back to who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he would go lower and lower still and lower still and demonstrate his humility. And this is the central point of this letter that Paul writes to the Philippians, and I think it's the central point of our faith. If we're followers of Jesus, like that's what we're here to do, we want to follow Jesus, we have to understand that the path of Jesus is one that leads into humiliation So as we talk about our big idea for the morning, we're actually going to build it as we go. I'm going to start with one thing, and we're going to shape it as we read more of the letter, all right? So we're going to start here with this. True strength is humility. Jesus demonstrates just how strong he is by being the only one on the planet who is right about everything and coming to serve those who were wrong about some of the most important truths of all of life. True strength is humility. When we think about strength, we think of like overcoming and and persevering and, and winning victories. And Jesus says... True strength comes from humility. It's not fighting and asserting your own rights. It's, it's laying down your rights because you know how you can serve others. Like, there's an idea that stuck in my head this week. Jesus was the only one on earth that was right about everything and yet submitted himself to those who were wrong about the most important things. To serve them and love them in spite of themselves. True strength is humility. And it leads me to ask, are we the only 
beneficiaries of our faith, and I'm going to have to explain what I mean by the question because I don't know that it's clear on the, on the front end. Are we the only beneficiaries of our, of our faith? Um, growing up, I had this idea that my faith was like for me. Like I thought like I'm a religious person and my faith helps me navigate life. And, and I bought into that idea. People would give the criticism like your faith is just a crutch because you're not strong enough to handle life. And I was like, that kind of makes sense because my faith is, is just about me and it's for me and it edifies me. But the picture that we see in the New Testament and the image, the, the, the example that Jesus leaves for us is that our faith is not just to benefit us, but our faith benefits those who walk around us. I wasn't sure that I was going to ask this question in this way, and I said to Ryan when he got here this morning, I said, this is the question, this is the idea I'm trying to get at. He said, I said, I think I'm going to cut it out. He said, no. He said, I was thinking in the car on the way over here about the ways that I've been walking with Jesus and the way he's tamed my tongue and the ways that he's taught me humility and the ways that he has modeled servant leadership for me that I've begun to adopt for myself and how I was thinking this morning about how that has impacted my workplace and how the people that I work with, like they knew that I was a Christian, they knew I was a religious person, I was the Jesus guy, and they were kind of okay with me being in that corner, but they thought that that didn't affect them. But as I got into a position in in the store where I was leading people and, and that kind of thing, like they begin to realize the benefits of following somebody who was following Christ and being associated with somebody who was following Christ and the God things that God has been doing all along who they weren't willing to acknowledge it was God before. Now they acknowledge that it's God who's actively working in their lives through the faith that I'm living out. Is our faith, are we the only beneficiaries of our faith? If it's a private thing just between you and God, it hasn't plugged into the life yet that Jesus offers. He loves you and he's concerned about you. But he has the same love for the person next door to you, the person in your home, the person at work. And he has you there for a reason. I know that's all theological, like we're talking about God becoming man, like that seems like a Christmas type uh, message of things, and I, I think it's not wrong to think about Christmas more than once a year, um, at least in the sense that we understand the humility of Jesus and how it works itself out. But there are practical implications, and Paul even starts to spell some of those out for the Philippians. Read with me in verse 12 and 13. He says, therefore, my beloved, and I'm just going to pause. I know I just said that we were going to read. I'm going to pause there. When you see a therefore, like as you're reading the Bible for yourself, if you see a therefore, the question, the flag that should go off in your mind is, what's the therefore, therefore? What's he talking about? Because the therefore starts, it doesn't just start a sentence. It takes the idea and then applies it. So the therefore is the so what of the Bible. So we just read all of this stuff about Jesus and about unity and about this mind being mine in Christ. So what? Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only is in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. We'll pause there. In light of this massive 
gospel truth that Jesus humbly came to serve his creation, then we also must obey. It's, he, he's hinting again at that, that PR, that public relations mindset, that social media masking that we are, are tempted to do. It's an old problem, but social media makes it a lot easier for us to, to put pictures out there that convey something about our life, whether or not it's true about our heart. He says, obey not only as in my presence. Don't obey just because I'm standing in the room with you. Don't live out your faith just because I'm standing in the room with you. But in my absence, also obey Jesus. It doesn't matter to me if you act like a Christian when you're in church. What matters to me is whether or not you're following Jesus when you're outside of these walls, when you're off of this campus. He's saying this, Paul's saying the same thing to the church in Philippi. Obey not just because I'm with you. Obey because it's true about you. Let that form your character. Follow Jesus every step of the way. Not because it is you. It is not because of your effort. It's not because you are cleaning yourself up. For it is God who works in you. Both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Both to will and to work. Both to want to and both to to to. You get what I'm saying? Sometimes I do, because I know what I'm supposed to do, but I don't want to. But he's saying, look, as, as you're walking with Jesus, it is God that is changing your wants. It is God that is changing the things that you desire to do. It is him who works in you both to will, both to want to, and to work for his good pleasure. Not for mine. <laughs> I'm pretty motivated to work for my own pleasure. In fact, uh, I find it to be true of all of humanity. Children are a great uh, window into the soul. Nobody had to teach them to be selfish. Nobody had to teach them to want the things that were for their pleasure. But it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It's something that he wants to do. So work out your own salvation with fear and trembling um, is a phrase that troubled me a lot um, early on in my walk with Jesus. Like, it felt like, oh, this all depends on me. Like, I've got to, I've got to figure this out. I've got to nail this. Otherwise, it's not going to work. I missed that second part of the verse. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. There are mornings where I've got up and, like, told God, I'm going to go do the right thing for you, and by the end of the day, it stumbled and fallen flat on my faces. Faces, well, that's probably indicative of the social media aspect. But. Fallen flat on my face because I told God what I was going to go do. But the days where I wake up and say, God, I'm, I'm yours. <laughs> I'm your kid. You're my father in heaven. You know what? Hallowed be your name. Let your name be the one that's glorified in my life. Like, let, let people see you in me. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth and in my life and my family, with my friends, with my coworkers, with the people that I see in the grocery store. Let your will be done here as it is in heaven. Just give me what I need today. 
I don't presume to know what that is, Jesus. And teach me to be a forgiver the way that you are. Because true strength is humility and true strength is humbly following Jesus. So the question is, are we reverently troubleshooting our faith? Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling is, is, is troubleshooting our faith. Like, you, you've got these ideas or these things that you're trying to work out, and you're not quite sure. And um, I don't know if, if <laughs> maybe this is a generational thing. Um, there are some of us who, uh, when we come to a problem on the computer... We look at the computer and we say, you are wrong. Stop being wrong. And when the computer doesn't respond to our voice commands, we close it or we smack it with a keyboard or we just walk out of the room. I've explained it calmly because I know that doesn't normally happen. There's some of us, when there's a computer problem, we say, stop being wrong, and we leave. There's some of us who go, okay, there's an issue here. Let me troubleshoot it. Let me figure out what are my inputs. What are, like, here are my outputs. I must, maybe I'm putting something in wrong. Maybe it's getting lost. In, like, I can find. I can troubleshoot. Sometimes we have to call a friend. That's actually the next point, but yes. <clears throat> it's the troubleshooting, though. It's not the idea of, like, this doesn't work. Because there's a lot of times, and I have a lot of friends who are stuck there, who say, I did this Jesus thing, I started following him, and it was hard, and life got hard, and I kept getting humiliated, and it didn't seem like people had the same kind of respect for me when I tried to tell them about Jesus, and that's wrong, and I don't like the way it's working, and so I'm, I'm, I'm angry at it. But the exhortation here to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling is to realize that when you come to problems, there's a troubleshooting because God is changing your want-tos so that you will work for his pleasure. If we grew up sick, we were born with a, a, a chronic illness, and we had always been sick, and one day we're well, it would feel wrong to us. And so if God is working in us to change our wants, as he does that, it will feel wrong to us. And so we have to keep troubleshooting. True strength is humbly following Jesus. Let's read verse 14 and the rest of that paragraph. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain even if I am poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith I am glad and rejoice with you all and likewise you 
also should be glad and rejoice with me. Paul says, look, do all things without grumbling and disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish. Phone a friend. <laughs> As you're troubleshooting your faith, phone a friend. We, we have to walk together. If we're going to shine as lights in what? A crooked and twisted generation. Does anybody like that picture? Does that make a lot of sense to us today when we read the news? Like something in here is broken. This is a crooked and twisted generation and I'm stuck in here. But if I'm going to shine as a light pointing to Jesus in the world, then I'm going to do all things without grumbling or disputing. As I troubleshoot my faith, as others troubleshoot their faith with me, as we're figuring this out, as we journey together... As we work together in unity, and Christ binds us together as his body, we find true strength in a a twisted time. Holding fast to the word of life. Holding fast to Jesus. True strength is humbly following Jesus altogether. We've already seen in this series that no one can follow Jesus alone and that trusting Jesus reorders the priorities of our relationships. We're not the only beneficiaries of our faith. Paul adds a little pastoral note here, and I hope you can hear the heartbeat in it. If you do all that, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I'm to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. He's using a picture that they'd be somewhat familiar with. uh, Oftentimes if you were doing um, animal sacrifices, um, they'd do this in the Jewish uh, Model that there were some in the Romans too. There was a picture that was familiar to them, but is unfamiliar to us. You'd offer the animal, and then as the animal was burning, or you're doing the offering, you would also pour on top of the animal a drink offering. You would pour it out. So you'd take this drink, this wine, something that was costly, and you would pour it out on top of the sacrifice as well. And he says, "Look, follow Jesus together." Like. Humbly follow Jesus all together so that at the end of time, like when I think about all of the work that I've done, that I don't feel like I labored in vain. Because sometimes I feel like I'm just being poured out and poured out and poured out and it's just going up in steam all the time. He says, I want to rejoice with you all that even if I am poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. And likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. He's saying, I'm giving it all for you guys. I'm I'm, I'm here in chains. I'm under house arrest. I'm willing to walk away from death in order to come back to encourage you more. But we're going to have to link arms and we're going to have to go this together. True strength is humbly following Jesus together. So do we journey together with others who are pointing to Jesus? Um, simple enough question to ask. You think, yeah, well, I go to church. Um, I'm, not, I'm not really asking about that. 
um, and I asked him about a road trip. It's one thing to like see somebody, to, to cross paths in a stores and like that, uh, to cross paths at church. It's another thing to say, hey, I'm going somewhere. Pack your bags, get in the car with me. We're going together. We're going to breathe the same air. We're going to listen to the same music. We're going to have to have some conversations about how to do this. We might have to work this out with fear and trembling. But if true strength is humbly following Jesus all together, we have to ask, do we journey together with others who are pointing to Jesus? Would you pray together with me? Lord God, there's uh, so much here. (laughs) And the end of all things has been heard. The psalm that we read this morning closes. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Reverence for you is the starting point. So whatever it is that you're doing in our hearts this morning, God, I pray that you would find us receptive to it, God, that you would be changing our wants. And that even though that feels uncomfortable and unfamiliar to us, Lord, we pray that you would help us to trust you in that. If we look at this picture of sacrifice that you have laid out, that you, infinite creator of the universe, would be born in human flesh to a poor family, to live a life of bad reputation and, and, and be crucified and humiliated in, a, in an unceremonial execution. We look at that and go, was that for me? God, if we are beginning to trust you that that event in history changed the trajectory of our soul, then God, I pray that you would continue to grow that faith in us. And Lord, as those of us who are familiar with that story come again to revisit it, to remember, would you embed the therefore in us too? you would be changing our character and you'd be changing who we are as we follow you. That you would help us to be transparent with one another as we share our struggles and as we are patient with one another as we're learning and growing. As we work this out with reverence and fear and trembling and troubleshoot it. But God, none of this happens without you. So would you lead us? And would you give us the faith to follow you? It's in your name we ask. Amen.